Welcome to the Doing Useful Things podcast. I'm Dave Keeler. Today I'm talking with Alex Chernikoff from Two People Software. According to Alex, he's never had a proper job. Rather than taking direction from someone else, he opts to create apps that he finds useful and believes others would as well. His path is a good example of creating products that allow for multiple income streams. Two People Software has several apps in the marketplace. While each is relatively low cost, together they provide Two People Software a steady income. He freely talks about his successes and failures in the app market. Hear why he doesn't rely on subscription models and how he sees further growth opportunities in the language learning and translation market segments. Okay, let's go to Alex. We're here with Alex Chernikoff to talk about Two People Software and uh, Alex's venture towards building it to where it is today. Let's go ahead and introduce yourself, Alex, and uh, tell us about Two People Software. So we're uh, we're a two-person company building quality Mac and iOS software, which is loved by people. Okay. Well, what type of software is it? Uh, actually, build apps. First of all, we build apps which would solve our our own problems. Uh, like our first app was built by me when I was in high school. It was a translator app which uh, allows you to select uh, words and phrases directly on web pages and translate them. So I really needed it back then when I was learning English and uh, so build it and it became uh, quite popular. Uh, so we are kind of trying to go this way, building things we need and then people kind of pick it up and use it as well. Uh, so now we have two two apps for language learners and one app for uh, for basically everyone. It's a wallpaper app, so we don't specialize in any type of software. We just make what's what what's fun. So you said you have three. So you have a language a translator yeah. app, and then I saw one is about language learning, yeah. right? Right. And then you, the wallpaper app being this was something to give your eyes a break. I understand or no it's oh actually oh sorry yeah it's we have four apps then okay yeah four <laughs> so so the wallpaper app it, it started as a side project when we just wanted to take a little break from uh, from the translator app uh so we kind of built it for fun but then it took off in especially in china so we are still working on it and it's making us uh quite decent money uh and it's fun and the breaks for ISAP, which uh, basically re- just reminds you to take breaks while working in the computer. Uh, I needed it because of my poor eyesight. I just read that uh, there is this 20-20-20 rule, which, uh, which uh, helps you to, uh, um, to fight eye strain while working in the computer. So we built this app and uh, basically for me, but we it turned out to be quite good. So we just published it as well. Let's go back to the wallpaper app that yeah, you said yeah. is popular in China. Yeah. Could you tell us about that a little bit and uh, why is it popular in China? Well, yeah. Uh, around three years ago, my colleague just wrote on Slack chat that's, uh, that's uh, Mac wallpapers suck and it would be cool to somehow live up the desktop. And then he also wrote that Google started their Google Art project, which allows you to browse art from different galleries all over the world, uh, right on your computer. So like to see the works from Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, you don't have to go 
to Amsterdam, you just go to a Google Art project. So we decided to handpick the copyright-free art and put together an app which would put this art on your desktop because there is a lot of art. Mac wallpaper sucked back then, and so it was kind of kind of a good combination to put these things together, to put art on your desktop so you have a lot of really beautiful wallpapers. You, you can have a new one each day, and all of them are good. Uh, so we, we, we kind of built an app out of it. So does it actually store the... Does it store the uh, the files of the, the pictures of art, or does it actually just go out there and every no. day and looking and so just crawl we, for them? Yeah, we we handpicked both on Google Art Project and uh, actually museums do it themselves. They, they they digitalize all the all the artwork they have in high quality, and actually it is available for free normally at most museums if it's not copyright protected. Uh, so we handpicked it all over and uh, put together, optimized it to look good on, on Mac screens. I mean, by hand-picked, I mean uh, we actually picked the ones, uh, the, the paintings which would look good as wallpapers. Uh, so not like sculpture or something, just actual paintings. Uh, so we, we, uh, we optimized them to look good as wallpapers and uh, the app pulls up uh, so you can set an interval when you want to, how often you want to see a new wallpaper in your computer, and it's pull every time uh, it pulls up a new wallpaper randomly out of our collection and has it as wallpaper. So it's very straightforward, very simple, but people like it. So why do you think it's popular in China? Uh, to be honest, I don't know exactly because. You know, there is kind of a language barrier, so we can't freely communicate with the users in China. But I think that's uh, because Chinese people are kind of um, kind of interested in the Western culture in general. And most of the art we have is obviously European. Uh, by obviously, I mean because because like most of it was created in Europe, I think. At least we have most of it. Most of the art we have is European. So when Chinese people uh, are kind of interested in Western culture, you can see it by, for instance, going out here in Vienna to the Stephansplatz and see how many Chinese tourists are there. Uh, so I think that's, a, that's just a very uh, easy way for them to access this European culture. Oh, interesting. So it's so you think maybe it's more of an appreciation of the art versus the viral nature of the application. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think there is a viral component in it. I mean, if someone, if for instance, uh, someone in a class downloads the app and he likes it, he would probably recommend it to their to his classmates or to his family. And you said that uh, it's a fairly profitable application. What's yes for us? How do you make money on that? Uh, we just we, we sell it upfront on the Mac App Store. Okay, so very straightforward. We actually uh, we what does it cost? Uh, ten bucks, okay. but one time, no subscriptions. Okay, uh, I can ten tell. Bu- uh, like ten U.S. dollars. Yeah, okay. or eleven euros in, here in the EU. Okay, yeah, because of the VAT. Uh, I can tell more later about why we don't utilize subscription model but now i wanted to tell uh, about um, how 
the other way we try to monetize our paper. Uh, so when it took off in China, we it used to be free for some time. So we got quite a lot of users in China and I think also in South Korea. Uh, and um, since we had this free users, which were not monetized in any way, uh, we decided like we need to do something with that. And we we came up with this idea to uh, print and actually and sell actually uh, <clears throat> to print and uh, sell actual hard copies of the of the artworks we have. I'm still not 100% sure if this was legal, even though all the artwork we have is copyright free. But basically what we tried to do is to uh, is to reprint all the artwork, which was once scanned in the galleries and sell it, but in our name, not in the gallery's name. Uh, but anyway, we uh, we added a button, um, right in the app we added a button which, which said you can you can order a hard copy of this uh, of this artwork for one hundred dollars or euros if you're in the EU, uh, and then once you've paid it, uh, we would print it out on a canvas. It was quite big. I mean, like a, so on a canvas. This yeah, is yeah, not yeah. Photo paper. Okay. No, no, no. It was an actual canvas framed, everything neatly packed and stuff like that. And we would send it per post, everything included in the price, uh, so we can hang it like on a wall in, in your living room, for instance. But it's failed dramatically because we just got two orders. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, do you think, what, what, did you uh, ever find out the reason behind only two orders? Was it just lack of marketing or lack of interest I've, any idea now i think it was too expensive? Um, it was a mix of both it was quite expensive uh, because you could like it was definitely a lack of marketing because uh, we didn't even have on the site which uh, where you were supposed to pay for it. We didn't even have a gallery with the examples of of, of how it would look like. Mm -hmm. So it was basically uh, uh, people those two per those two people who purchased it. They they did it solely out of trust to us, so to say. So because we didn't have Instagram showing off how it looks like, didn't have a gallery, we didn't have nothing. Um, copy on the website was quite weak too. And um, <clears throat> the price was quite high as well, so, of course. Actually, we weren't making a lot of net profit on it. So it actually costed us around uh, $70 or $80 to, uh, to produce it and send per post. So we were making like 20 bucks on it, but, but still it was quite high for, for, for users. Um, and before launching that, actually, we pre we tried to protest it, and we put a button which said the same thing th that you can order it for one hundred bucks. But when you clicked on it, it just said, "Thanks, we're testing this feature. Like, thanks for for the pre-ordering. We'll get back to you as soon as we have this uh, uh, as we have this shipped." And a lot of people clicked on that, and that's why we decided it's uh, wow, this could, that could make us a lot of money, but it turned out not. So they could see the price, right? Yeah, so they yeah, knew yeah. when they clicked on it, they thought they were buying it, and then they weren't buying it. It was part of a test, right? Yeah, yeah. And well, I guess perhaps the ones who clicked on it were the only ones who were going to click on it, and then they didn't have anything to buy, so they went on their way, right? I think that's the point about uh, that's uh, this 
lack of marketing part because uh, it. I think a lot of people who clicked on it just wanted to just did it out of curiosity, like they wanted to see what happens, and we counted it as their commitment to buy. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of screwed up a little. That's interesting. So misunderstood. Yeah. What was your biggest learning from that that you can apply towards your other applications and your other ventures? That we should uh, test uh, such things more painstakingly, I think. Like not trust the first the first sign that it's going to take off. Yeah. Hard to do, right? It's, yeah. It's hard I to mean, say, would you buy this? Yeah, you never know if it's enough or not. Right, because people don't know, and people don't know they're going to buy it until they actually have to open their wallet. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, do it. Yeah. You said earlier you don't focus or rely on or have an interest in perhaps uh, subscription models. What's uh, tell me about that? Yeah, that we, seems to be subscription models. Obviously, uh, nowadays everybody says, "Well, what's your subscription model?" Yeah, the second yeah. you say you have a, an application, it, it is. It became really trendy nowadays. Um, we actually tried it one and a half years ago when we launched our uh, our. Today, it's our newest app, actually, Reggie, which allows you to learn words in a very unobtrusive way. Uh, so when we launched Learn it, words in a foreign language. Yeah, yeah. If you're learning a foreign language, uh, it's, a, it's basically a substitution for your notebook where you write down new words. So you write down them in our app, and it automatically translates everything, pull up, pulls up images, and provides you with a quite an efficient learning mode. So just uh, for people who aren't learning languages, as uh, Alex said, you have a notebook yeah. of words that you pick up throughout the day. And like, oh, that's an interesting word. You write it down in the translation. And you end up having a large notebook full of words that for one reason or another you determined were important enough to write down. And so that's what this application Yeah, is exactly. For instance, I, 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 I used to learn Spanish uh, and the A11 course. And uh, on average, we would have picked up 100 new words per class. So that's a lot. And all, all my classmates were writing down them in the notebook and also waiting until the teacher uh, says the translation into German or English. Uh, so it took them like five times longer than me just to type in the word and it would have been automatically translated by the app. And it stores it for you? Yeah, sure. Okay. It stores everything. Like the the only job you have to do is typing the words you want to learn. Everything else is covered. And then how does it, is there a way that it helps you learn them or is it a reference? Yeah, there, there is a learning mode. Uh, it's based on the spaced repetition algorithm, which determines which words you already know quite well and which ones you uh, you need uh, to practice on. And the ones you need to practice, it asks you to repeat them more often than the ones you've already known. So which I believe is a fairly common language learning. Yeah, it's right? it's it's uh, it's incorporated in almost all language apps. Like I think Duolingo and other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, all of them use it, but our, um, uh, but how we stand out is uh, that we uh, don't position ourselves as a all-in-one language learning app. We just help you with the vocabulary. So we substitute the notebooks. No, but I like it. As someone who's been studying German, 
Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have notebooks from all the classes I've gone to. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And obviously, I'm not carrying that notebook around anymore. Yeah. I carried it when I went to class, full of the many words that I wrote down during the day. And I've also used Duolingo, which is good, but it's not user-generated in the sense of I can't use, put my own words in there. Mm -hmm. I'm basically, a, yeah. I have to rely on what they determine is important about transportation or whatever the topic is. And so, no, that's good. I have to check it out. Um, and is that a a one-time fee model or what's the business now model? Now it is a one-time fee. That's the app we tried the subscription model with uh, back in the day when we launched. Uh, and it, I would say it failed quite miserably. Then we went free to get more users and get... So you started with subscription? Yeah, okay. we, we tried to. And what was the subscription? How much per month and what were they, what were they getting per month? Uh, they were like we made it in a bit other way than uh, the normal iOS apps do. So normally um, you you get a f so it's called freemium actually. Uh, you get the base functionality for free, and you get you can get uh, premium features uh, for a monthly fee or a weekly fee or an annual fee. Uh, what we did was a little different. We just gave you access for uh, seven days for free, and then you had to subscribe in order to use the app to and continue. Well, how much did the users have to pay? It's, to be honest, I don't remember exactly. It was it was something like three euros per per month. Okay. And was that just to maintain access to the application? Yeah. And then yeah. updates, whatever yeah. the updates yeah. were. Yeah. And you said it failed, it, which it, I assume means it, not a lot of people signed up uh, for it, right? Like probably 50 people signed up, but that okay. was nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, 50 by 3 is like 150 euros per month. So how long did you give it before you decided this is not working? A couple of months. Two, three months. Two or three months. And then you said you switched it to a free Yeah, we switched to free because we wanted to uh, get more users, get more publicity. Well, we tried to. Uh, and get more App Store reviews because App Store reviews are really important. Uh, so you rank high in the App Store search, which is... How do you get more App Store reviews? Just asking your users to... You need more users. Like the more users you have, the more uh, reviews you can get obviously and then yeah you can ask right in the app you can uh you can pop up uh, uh you can prompt them with a hey can you leave us a review okay yes okay that's why all of my apps always ask for reviews yeah because it's it's it's, okay. it's really important in the app store because people really pay attention to that when evaluating if they want to purchase this app or not it's super important and also it's super important for ranking in the search right so then you went to free and you're you, to build up your user base. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you did because it, it's a pay-for app now, right? Yeah. So how long did you give it to, to build up a user base? Half and, a year. And what was the numbers? What were the numbers? How many users did you get that you thought was adequate? Very little, to be honest. Like, comparing to our other apps, it was it, it's the least popular app of ours. Uh, 2,000 per month. No, not per month. Um Per day, it's like one thousand users users per day now, and so very very little. Then you put a fee on. How much does it cost now to download? And now it's eight euros one time. Yeah. Are you still generating revenue on that? Is that something? That's yeah, we do, but it's the least revenue maker uh, out of our out of our app base and the least 
it has the 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 the, the smallest user base. So we're still not sure about this project. So it's possible you might not continue it. Yeah, we we may shut it down. I'm not sure. I mean, now it just it's just in the App Store. People buy it, so it doesn't require any support at this point. So we're still kind of experimenting with this, like with small marketing tricks. But if one year ago we invested almost our, all our time into it, now we don't. So it's interesting. I, I was thinking about that. Uh, not your particular app, but the, I've I've been constantly on my I, uh, iPad trying to find the right note-taking app. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot out there, and they all have different pluses and minuses. And recently I had one. I had a lot of notes and a lot of stuff in it. And I don't know what happened to it. It just, I guess it got discontinued, and it disappeared from my iPad. Mm -hmm. And then I went to look for it in the store, and I couldn't find it. So and all of my data was gone too. Mm -hmm. Everything was gone. So I'm curious, as an app developer, if you decide, if you come to a point when you are going to discontinue an app, have you thought about giving the users yeah, a, yeah. a method of offloading the data that they? Yes, of in? course. Uh, good question. Actually, um, for instance, Google does that quite a lot. They shut down their services from time to time, and of course, you, I would say, you must give users a heads up, like up to one year before you actually want to shut it down so they can uh, offload all the data, export it, uh, switch to, to, to other solutions because otherwise it's just mean and you would act like an asshole, I would say. There are a lot of like very sophisticated note-taking apps that people use, right? Um, Evernote and some other ones. I've, I haven't used Evernote, but I've heard it's really good. I'm sure it's, it's financially strong and it's doing quite well. I'm a little worried because it seems like a very complicated structure of note-taking mm -hmm. and that if it was to shut down, then what happens to the structure that I've set up, right? Mm -hmm. So quite frankly, I've just surrendered myself and used the notes <laughs> on uh, because I figure Apple will keep that around for a while Yeah, because yeah. it's under Apple's control and it's not a third-party application. Uh, and also, of course, paper. But... Uh, it, I can't see, can't seem to yeah, keep track paper of paper. Is the best. No, I think uh, I think Evernote would care about that, and that would give you access. To yeah, it. I mean, it's Evernote's a big. I think it's a very big. Yeah. So, like, uh, going back to uh, to your question, we would definitely not like we would not shut it down in one day and tell all the users, guys, sorry, like we're off, like. The app is not available anymore. Of course, we would give them a heads up and uh, and uh, make it possible to uh, get all their data because I know it's myself. Like, like I lost actually when when I was testing this Reggie app, I lost all my all my words I I wrote down in my Spanish class and. Uh, frankly, I was quite angry back then. So I know how it's like. It's very a very unpleasant feeling when you're losing your data. So I would definitely not do that to my users, especially uh, we really uh, we value our image as a product developer, so I don't want to harm it by just, you know, losing users' data. That's honorable. So it, you mentioned four applications. That, yeah. you're, that you're doing. Now, do you also do custom work? 
if someone comes in and asks you to build no, an application no, no, for them? No, 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 no. I, I. Uh, to be honest, I, I never I, n- I never had a proper job. Like I I um I started all this app making thing back in high school when mm-hmm. obviously my parents were giving me money, and then I somehow bootstrapped into being into making living myself. But I never worked for someone. I tried to freelance for two times, and I let's put it this way: I didn't like it. Uh, Why not? Because once I I didn't get paid for that. Okay, well, that's <laughs> so, a good reason. So I was just ripped off basically, and the other time it was just I didn't like I didn't like the client like he was quite quite a mean guy. So you're completely off freelancing. Yeah, uh, and and also I don't like making things for other people. I'm probably quite selfish. I don't know how to call it correctly, but I don't like making things which are owned by other people. I like making my own stuff. Like I, I, I made this and this is mine and no one has the right to, so to say, influence it. I want to be the only weirdo who's in charge of making decisions, so to say. All right, that's fair enough. So that would kind of lead us into discussion about uh, have you ever gone out and looked for venture capital or uh, other outside assistance? Yeah, yeah. We uh, when we uh, were launching this Reggie app, we were thinking that it's and gonna Reggie is the the language the one we're learning. Talking yeah. About, yeah. Um, so we were thinking that it should really take off. I don't know why there was no obvious reason for that. Why we thought like that? It's entrepreneurial exuberance. Okay. <laughs> so, Get excited! Like this is gonna be the best thing yeah, ever. Yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm like I'm I. I, I cooled off a little now, so I don't think anymore like that. Uh, so we thought it, it should really take off. So we uh, we were looking into the direction of this whole venture capital thing. Uh, I met with a couple of investors here in Vienna, and uh, I was reading quite a lot about how the whole process uh, uh, is uh, is built and how it works and stuff like that. Uh, we also applied to all the sorts of startup accelerators, which help you um, to to learn about raising money and uh, and uh, basically uh, lead your first round, the seed round. Uh, and we even got into Y Combinator interview. For those who don't know, Y Combinator is considered to be the best startup accelerator in the world. It's based in Mountain View, California. Uh, and after we went there, we decided, no, wait, like we if if even if we get this money, we don't know we actually don't know what to do with it. So why why even taking on it? Uh, so we decided to go our our, our own way uh, by making by spending the money we actually made not spending the money someone gave to us you said that you weren't sure if you, if you got the money from y combinator yeah yeah we what didn't. you would spend the money on well what were you asking money for no with y combinator it's a bit different you you, you apply and then uh, they either fund you or not so you're it's a bit different uh, from how you pull off the conversation with the yc yc VC, sorry, VC. Uh, uh, so with VC, you're, you need to actually present what you need the money for. With mm-hmm. YC, Y Combinator, you just apply and they 
give you money and then you have to decide it yourself what you want to spend it on. How involved is Y Combinator in your, so if, if they're gonna give you a chunk of money, how involved are they in how it's spent or the management of the company or the direction? I haven't been there, so I can't say it precisely, but I don't think they are very involved because they fund, they have two batches per year and each, in each batch they have something like 150 companies. Okay, wow. So they cannot be very involved in each of them. Uh, so they have this office hours I think twice per week or once per week, uh, that's when you uh, when you you can drop by their office and ask all the sorts of questions you want to ask them and they are supposed to help you. And then they also have dinners each Tuesday uh, when all the all the funded companies gather together in their in the Wikimedia headquarters. Uh, and that's where supposedly all the magic happens, where all the all the uh, you know networking happens. Uh, so the value of Y community is, uh, I would say, at least from what I've heard, is the community and this chance to uh, to spend some time in the cradle of innovation. I uh, I had a visual when you said the the the, um, the dinner where all the funding funded companies get together. Of Hogwarts at the uh, on Harry Potter yeah. with the, uh, <laughs> the the uh, dining room when all the kids are sitting there. And so I kind of thought of all these little these young, smart uh, startup owners um, at Hogwarts with yeah. their their Y Combinator. Yeah, Y Combinator is just a Harry Potter knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds to me that based upon the applications that you've made, that you you're making a living. Yeah. And it's something that uh, it, you did not want to – you said you're not really interested in working for somebody else. No. And you haven't had a real job. No. So it sounds like things are working out pretty well, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm quite happy at this point. So what's the next step? Uh, well, the next step is, is actually scaling, which I, I, I have no clue how to do this at this point. Scaling current apps or creating more apps? We, we scaling your company. I would say scaling my company because um, since uh, our current apps haven't uh, haven't become our big things, so to say, they're not making millions yet. Probably yet. I don't know. Probably they will. Uh, so we try to experiment as much as we can. We're constantly trying to build something new. And by that, uh, we kind of invest in future because probably some of, of our new apps will become, become our next big thing, so to say. So we not only focus on our current apps, we also try to, to find a good trade-off between supporting our current apps and making them better and making something new. How many people in the company? Two, yeah. two people. It's just two. So you're yeah. doing the two yeah. of you. Who's your partner? Uh, uh, Andrew. Or Andrew? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to say his full name? Or yeah, his? Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck? Luck. Luck. Is he also from? Yeah, from Kiev, Ukraine. Okay, from Ukraine. You said that you create applications that you use, yeah. right? That you would, that you find useful. Um, what's something that you believe is, an, is a need out there um, that you, uh, for you, you have some obviously you need to find something that's useful for you what's something mm -hmm. that you're thinking about or a need that needs to be solved yeah the the most recent idea is um was um i 
as a person who lives uh, quite far away from my family, mm-hmm. I uh, I need to call them quite often, like at least once per week. Uh, so I have to call four, five people per week, and I often forget about it uh, because you know when you're in a hustle. Uh, and then, and your family is where? In Ukraine, Bulgaria, uh, United States. Okay, over. so you have to call them. I assume uh, you're using uh, something like WhatsApp. Yeah, Skype. Oh, Skype. Okay. Skype and WhatsApp. Well, it depends. Like I call my grandmother via Skype because she doesn't have, she doesn't uh, use internet. She doesn't. Uh, so you, uh, you call her regular phone? Yeah, yeah. I call like the, there is this Skype to Skype out to uh, to landline or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and all others via WhatsApp. Um, so yeah, I, I came up with a with an idea for a small app, uh, which would basically synchronize with your uh, call log on, on an iPhone and remind you to call uh, selected people. Like I, for instance, I uh, select call grandmother once per one every seven days, and then it would synchronize with call log. See when did I call her. And if it was more than seven days ago, it would remind me. It's something that I would use, but it's, it's unfortunately it's not possible because of iOS uh, technical limitations. Meaning you can't access the call log? Yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's probably something more difficult to get to. The, the two primary applications are language, right? One's learning and one's um, uh, translation. Yeah, exactly. Is there something about learning languages that's important to you? Yes, because um, uh, being born in Ukraine, which is which used to be primarily uh, Russian-speaking back then, uh, my parents, who grew up in Soviet Union, where people uh, obviously did not speak foreign languages, well, they they learned English, but their English is you know it's at a hello. How are you level? Right. Uh, so my mother kind of um, kind of uh, foresaw that's the the I don't know she 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 kind of forced me to learn foreign languages from basically from day one when I was in uh, in elementary school she uh, she signed me up for a language class. And what languages do you speak? Uh, I just speak English, German, Russian, Ukrainian, and some learning Spanish now. Okay, you're learning Spanish now. Yeah. Okay. Trying to pretend a, an Austrian citizen. Everyone speaks it here. What's that? Everyone speaks it here. Spanish? Yeah, I think so. No? I don't know. It's a good point. It is uh, actually my son uh, used to go to a trilingual school and it was German, English, and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just Spanish because one of the teachers spoke Spanish and so they, they said, oh, we'll call no, it I think it's here. It's uh, like. English is obviously the first foreign language here, and the second one is Spanish because it's also drastically popular all over the world. Yeah, And also German-speaking people really love going to Mallorca and, and Spain in general. That's true. Yeah, you have to you have to speak the language of the, where you go on holiday so you can order all the best food Yeah, and know what's going on. So then it's something from a very young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, like then she also signed me up for a German class because I once mentioned that I want to study in Germany. Uh, so she did that. Uh, and uh, to be honest, I didn't like German back in the day at all. 
it was comparing to English, it was very hard and and uh, so I didn't like it, but I got really excited about English. And that's when I started reading a lot of English blogs and articles and Wikipedia. And that's when I made the, the a prototype of, of, of the app we have now, the translator app, which, so I was reading quite a lot. And when I, uh, every time I, I, I I met a new words, I had to manually go to Google Translate, you know, translate it, write it down somewhere in a, in a notebook, took quite a lot of time. So that's when I made a Chrome extension, which would allow you to uh, just select, uh, like double click on any words on a page and uh, see uh, an instant translation right there. So that's what the application is, it's a Chrome uh, yeah, extension. Yeah, yeah. Does it, so does it work on a phone? Or, yeah, we we ported it to Mac and uh, and iPhone. So that that's actually how we differentiate ourselves from Google, for instance, mm -hmm. because obviously there is already Google Translate, which is super popular. We try to go a bit other way. We try to uh, to make seamless integrations with every device we support. Like for instance, on Mac, you can also select text anywhere and translate it right there, so you don't have to switch between tabs browser tabs or apps to translate something so it saves you quite a lot of time if you're translating a lot of things throughout the day and what's what's the name of the app again may translate may mate mate translate yeah. and you can find it at your website two people software yeah sure two people software.com or matestranslate.com okay or yeah. matetranslate.com will it work on my phone yeah sure so, sure the pretty much the same way you can like if you're reading something in Spanish in Safari, you can just select the word and uh, tap on share, and then there is this mate option there. Just okay, tap on it and yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. I'll have to check it out. And also an iMessage. That's uh, we once got featured for that on the App Store on the front page. Uh, we made uh, an iMessage integration, so you can you can actually chat in in a foreign language within iMessage. I don't speak Spanish. I'm talking to a Spanish speaker. Will it translate what's coming from them yeah. from Spanish to English? No, it's uh, like the iMessage uh, iMessage integration is quite limited because of because Apple, you know, loves to restrict developers to do something. Uh, so if both parties have the app installed, you can uh, you can run the app write in the iMessage, typing what you uh, what you want to say in your language, it it translates it to the uh, to the other person's language on the fly and it sends both like the original message and the translated message. Okay, that's cool. I would love to see an application that's real time. Unfortunately yeah. that's not possible yet. <laughs> so iOS is quite, you know because of the iOS restrictions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Understand you might be leaving Vienna sometime soon. Yeah, or? we are planning on moving to Berlin. We decided so one year ago. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what's behind your move? And when are you moving? Um, actually, everything's already set up. I'm, we're just waiting till my uh, colleague gets a visa because he's a Ukrainian citizen. The decision behind the move was um, that we kind of 
understood we kind of grasped that vienna is kind of boring in terms of tech community i mean there is there are not so many things going on here in the tech community and what's important for us there are not so many developers like us who we who we can uh, meet up with and talk to exchange experience so to say um so that's probably the biggest page turner for us what do you think uh, Vienna could do to make it better? Make more software. You have to have the software developers to do that. So what can they do to either bring more software, software developers in or encourage more software development? What's the, what do you think could be done? I think the, the problem is actually very deeply lying, if you can put it this way. I mean, uh, the biggest deal breaker for me w is and was that people here are kind of um, reluctant to build something global. I mean, really, really a lot of startups here in Vienna, if they build something, they target only Austria. And then by saying go global, they mean go to Germany. And that's pretty much it, which kind of, you know, contradicts with what I like. Uh, so we are global from day one. By global, I mean like every single country in the world. Uh, and that's, I think, what is lacking personally to me. That's, that's so it sounds like if people are saying go global is go to Germany, well, it's kind of like what you're doing. You're going to Germany, but then you, they can go real global, big global. Uh, yeah, I know. We are actually already big global. Right. I mean, just for me, it's all about the community. Like when I was in, uh, when we when we were in uh, in uh, Silicon Valley at the White Community Interview, we met up with seven really cool app developers in just one week, and all of them are making cool stuff used by millions of people. Here, it's unfortunately not possible. Like I know a couple of developers who are making cool things for the big big global worlds, uh, but that's pretty much it. I mean, what about the, um, there are a couple of accelerators here, right? Aren't there some? Uh, they are also Austria-oriented, all of them. They're all what? Austria-oriented. Meaning, oh, Aust oh focused meaning, on the Austrian market. Meaning, yeah, like they they kind of got you to uh, build things for Austria and go to markets here. Mm, okay. Not even probably in Germany, I don't know. Okay. Interesting. I mean, if I were grown up here, probably it would, be, would have been fine for me, but I'm kind of, you know, an immigrant here and uh, it's kind of hard for me to grasp the facts like you're only focusing on one country. Right. Yeah. You know, who knows what's behind? It could be that you get it strong here, make it strong and very good here and then move it and then take it elsewhere to other German speaking markets or you know, global. Sounds really know. boring to me, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, a, I'm not the entrepreneur. So Australia yeah. is a really tiny country. I mean, super boring. All right, uh, good to know. I'm gonna kind of change gears just a bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious if you weren't doing this, which is developing apps uh, for creating solutions to things that are interesting to you, what would you be doing otherwise? That's a good question. To be honest, I don't know. Probably, like, I, I like design in general. I mean, I like well-designed products in general, no matter if it's software or, I don't know, a piece of hardware. So I 
I would probably go the design way. I would probably be a designer. Like what would you design? Anything. I mean, software is the easiest way for me because I can do it, but I would probably try designing hardware or, you know. Like physical design? Yeah, yeah, physical design. Okay. What is something, a physical product that you think is beautifully designed? I really love uh, products made, made by Apple because, not because we are making all the money from Apple products, but uh, I really think they put a lot of effort into design and pay attention to the tiniest details. Um, I also love Dyson, mm -hmm. who uh, designed those over, overpriced home appliances. Yeah, so I, I really love companies which, you know, do something that already exists, like Apple with the computer. It's already existed, existed years before, but they just design it from the ground up and they, they make it just 10 times better and put a, a higher price on it, of course. But it's it's so well designed that people buy it. Right, we had no idea that, that uh, we needed a new version of something we already have yeah, that yeah, was yeah. more expensive. Yeah, yeah. But now we have it. Mm -hmm. I believe me, I'm a big Apple fan. And the aesthetics is, pulls you in. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely an, uh, an aesthetics person. Let me ask you something. What is, what is one of your favorite things about Austria? What is something about Austria that you really enjoy since you've lived here? How long have you been here? Four and a half years. Four, so in the four and a half years you've been here, is there something in particular that you like? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the... That economists uh, top of the most livable cities is is really useful and trustworthy. That I think Vienna is really super good for living here. Yeah, I mean it's without exaggeration, Vienna probably has the best public transportation system I've ever seen in my life anywhere yeah, it's in the world. It's super cool, and it's it's really comfortable to live here. And also, since I, I, I really love skiing, it's uh, it's super cool if you love that too, because you have a lot of mountains, uh, even like 100 kilometers from Vienna, you have mm -hmm. uh, spectacular spectacular mountains where you can ski or, or hike or mountain bike, whatever. Um, so it's it's really it's really cool to live here. It's really comfortable, uh, but. I think it's just cool if you're a little uh, a little older, I think. Okay. I mean, for me, <laughs> gotcha. for me being 23, it's, it's quite boring here. Yeah, you're pretty young. I'm older, so I, uh, yeah. it's nice and comfortable for me and my family. Yeah. Uh, good, good. Is there something else that you'd like to talk about uh, before we wrap up? Uh, I don't know. Nothing that crosses my mind right now. All right. Well, if you think about it, come back. Okay. All right. Good. Well, thanks so much for coming, Alex. Thank and you. again, you can find the applications at uh, TWO People Software, twopeoplesoftware.com. And what are the other ones? The other websites? MateTranslates.com. MateTranslate.com. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thank you.